0: Yo 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 yo, welcome to episode number 81 of the basketball card podcast. I am Adam. You can reach me at the real 27 guy on Instagram. Um, today's episode is brought to you by alt alt.xyz has 400 items, actually more than that. I think it's over 500 items ending this Thursday as part of their liquid auctions. Super easy platform connects easily to your uh, to your bank. Uh, awesome tech, low fees. Great information and incredible customer service. I purchased a couple of big-time uh, items on all over the course of the last year or so. What are you waiting for? Register on the Alt platform today. I'm super excited for today's episode. Um, today, I have here with me really one of my oldest friends, uh, Chad. Chad runs the Pack to the Future podcast with his buddy, Tim. Um, it's a super entertaining, awesome weekly podcast you should absolutely check out. Chad Chad is a doctor. Uh, I hope I can say this. Former high school quarterback, longtime collector, and again, one of my oldest friends. I actually have a picture of Chad and me at my seventh birthday party, which is a long, long time ago. Chad, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Adam. Thanks for having me on. And I think at some point, I'm going to want to have to check out that picture. Um, <laughs> bring, bring back some good memories. I like that. The
0: last time you and I looked at this picture... You pointed out that you look like you're taller than me in it. Um, We looked at this thing maybe 20 years ago. So forgive me for remembering this random detail, but, um, but it's got like a slant to it and you're standing at the top and I'm standing at the bottom, but it appears in this picture that you are taller than me, which is not quite the case. um, But you, you told your, your mom, I was taller than Adam at one point. It was kind of a fun conversation.
1: That doesn't surprise me at all. That sounds like something seven-year-old Chad would say, and it sounds like something that 40-year-old Chad would say, because I'm taller than nobody. So (laughs) I would absolutely take pride in that photo.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Well, uh, Chad and I literally started going to a card shop together, uh, House of Cards. We went to a couple others too along the way, but in 1994, 1994, 1995. And so I thought it would be a really fun idea today would be to share some stories People love stories in the hobby chat, especially these things from people who who like can corroborate stories from each other. Right. Like you, you know, certain like things about like my collecting. Like, for example, you know that I was a big Kevin Garnett fan and I don't know that there's anybody else in the whole world who actually knows that. So um, I've brought a couple of stories. I know you brought a couple of stories. We'll try to keep it quick like we usually do here uh, on on the basketball Card podcast um so uh actually who you want to go first you want me to go first what do you think
1: let's see i think that kind of playing i am happy to jump in with a little bit um of the story and you can certainly supplement to this because i know that you'll play a role adam and i did not prepare like we did not bounce our stories off each other for this so maybe we'll end up having some overlap here but uh, mine starts with house of cards as well and it's it kind of revolves around people in the hobby and then a certain card and I think it's going to be able to dry out some emotions that probably most people have felt who have been collectors. And so this is a story a little bit about um, one of Adam our nemesis, Bob. His name was Bob. That, that's how I knew him. He was a big guy. He was an older guy. Um, we were, what, around 11 years old at the time when we were going to House of Cards, and they had this bid board that Adam's talked about on the podcast before and the bid board was always the highlight of the card scene in Salt Lake City, at least as far as we knew it back in the '90s. And it would have a timer, and it would end at a certain time on Saturday. And if you had your last bid up and you were the maximum bid, you would win the card. It was a big deal. It was it was really anxiety provoking for me, hmm. Adam. I, I don't know if you felt the same way, but on certain cards, like you had to, you know, in your mind, you're trying to manipulate all these different things that you could work out in order to win
0: the card. And at the end of the day, you just had to have the most money. But Um, So real real quick, when I when I think about that, what seems insane to me now is that is that you just it just ended at a given time. Right. It wasn't about who was willing to pay the most. It was about who had the final bid. And so I won my Michael Jordan rookie card off the bid board. And my theory on that, Chad, was I'm going to wait until 10 seconds before one o'clock and I'm putting down that amount. And then hopefully the guy who was the underbidder is just not going to be standing at that specific tag. At one o'clock. That's insane in retrospect. Am I right?
1: Yeah, you, know, you are right. And that's exactly how it played out. And that's part of the reason, at least for me, that Bob became my nemesis. Now, at the time as a young kid, you know, I, I don't think about the same things as adults that, you know, what they might be going through or kind of what their life is like. You just know him as an adult. And Bob was a big guy. Bob was a big guy. I think I learned later on in life that maybe he had played some football and he he was a lineman, so he was a bigger guy. But Bob would use his size, in my mind, to box us out and keep us away from the cards that we wanted to at the end of the bid board. And I cannot remember a specific card that Bob beat me on, but I remember having this grudge against Bob for always beating me to the cards that I wanted. Um, (laughs) Maybe this goes kind of like with the short stature type thing. I think there's some some anger <laughs> issues. Maybe I, <laughs> that my younger self needed to work out. But um, so I I held on to some of this some of this anger for Bob, and probably undeservingly so. I didn't have much interaction with him as a child, and then I'm going to jump forward a little bit here in a second. But I know that you worked obviously at the card shop for quite a while during right. periods of time when I stopped going. I wish I had kept going. Um, I don't know if you ever had more of a relationship with Bob, but I just never did. I just knew him as this large man who always defeated me on the cards that I wanted at the bid board.
0: So, yeah, so, I, so just to jump in, I I worked at that card shop for seven years with my mission in between. Uh, and so I knew Bob for a long time. And I can corroborate a lot of the sort of things that you're probably going to say. Um, he wasn't just big. He, he had a certain smell to him, right? Yeah, um, yep. Bob was never... Never somebody who would walk into a card shop who you'd who you'd think okay that's that's the guy who I want to like necessarily have a conversation with, um, but but definitely had some difficult moments with him through the years and um, anyway you keep keep going with your story
1: and I think to add on to that in my mind I picture him like Newman from Seinfeld but with less hair on top of his head probably a little bit bigger the the smell was there and maybe like half a shirt tucked in. But his presence was always felt when he walked in. He wasn't necessarily loud, but you would know he was there. So flash forward to just a few years ago, to what House of Cards they had relocated and announced was going to be their final weekend of being open. And to relive some of that nostalgia, I wanted to go to that bid board. So... I uh, tell my wife, Sarah, I'm like, hey, hun, I'm going to go check out this bidboard and kind of tell her the story behind it. She didn't care too much, but was very supportive. And so I go down and I walk in the shop, which at this time is is very small. It's no larger than two or three times than the small office I'm in now. And the bidboard's there, has fewer amount of cards than what I remember as a kid, but I still got that same anxiety leading up to the time that the bidboard is going to end. This, this was my childhood card shop and I wanted to win a final card. I didn't care what the card was. I didn't even have anything planned on winning. I just needed to win. About five minutes before the ticker goes off, the door opens and I feel it. It's Bob. (laughs) (laughs) He's back. He's back all these years later. So this had to be, you know, 25 years later since the last time I've seen the guy and he's bidding on cards. And as the timer ticks down, there's a couple minutes left. I see Bob in a different lens than what I'd seen him in the past. He's older, you know, and being an adult, seeing an adult, yep. you know, you start to recognize, okay, maybe Bob's been through some things and maybe, you know, I'm very fortunate to have the life that, that I have and made me grateful for that. So yep. even though when he walked in, I had this plan to ultimately defeat him finally on a card, I see him bidding on cards and I see this man kind of beat up and broken down and the timer starts to tick down. There's about ten seconds left. He throws up a bid on like a Carson Wentz rookie card. It had to be worth you know three or four bucks. So I did something that I was proud of. Um, in my adult years, I let the time tick down, and I sprinted up and I put a bid in front of him, and I won that. I won that card as the pitboard board went off, and I finally. Got the best of Bob. <laughs> so so my childhood self uh, couldn't, <laughs> couldn't refrain from that. So it, it did bring up some of those old memories. And I joked about it with him afterwards. Like, it was a very weird feeling for me. And I did feel all of those emotions about seeing Bob as older and more vulnerable. But the one thing I didn't do as a kid that I did now... Is I stopped him. I said, "Hey, man, there's no reason that you would remember me." But I told him about House of Cards. I told him how he was my nemesis. I told him how the only reason I bid on the card was just because of who he was in my mind. And I even offered him the card. He he didn't want the card, and that was fine. And you know, there was a small interaction. He's not much of a talker, but I think for me that story stands out quite a bit. Not so much because it was a great iconic card, but. It definitely brought up a lot of emotions and a lot of memories of you and I um, in our youth going to the card shop and some of those you know, childhood battles that at the time you see as being very iconic. But um, in the big scheme of things, probably didn't matter so much. And I think ultimately, I think since then, Adam, I think you had told me after I told you that story once upon a time that Bob had actually passed away since then, which was is kind of a bummer because he was a legend for our childhood card collecting youth.
0: It, this story brings, you're right. This story brought so many different things to my mind. Uh, not the least of which is different memories of Bob Um, I actually have a few really like sweet stories about moments where he had like this really human side. That was really cool. But, but yeah, this like super, super rough exterior, both from, you know, how he looked and how he smelled and how he sounded every part of him. Just it's a reminder though, that, that card shops in general give us these memories. You use the word iconic a couple of times, these memories that, that you know you and i you and i have memories from that shop that are literally 30 years old chad like yeah. like yep. we we were i remember the first time i listed cards one of the first times i think probably the first time i listed cards on the bid board for sale i think you were like you and i were doing it together like we were figuring out how to do it we tried we, we even had a theory at one point remember there were 25 set increments um on on the items you had a bid. you had to put your right. bid number and my bid board number was 1728 i remember like yeah early early on and uh and like i realized if you put an increment of somebody on somebody where it wasn't exactly 25 cents you could sort of trick yourself into winning the cart so like if somebody bid like a dollar 50 you could put down like a dollar 78 and then if the next bid was $2, at the end, you'd say, actually, sorry, this guy didn't put a full increment above. This is actually mine. And it was this sort of – we were we were doing – we were thinking about all of these ways that we could sort of make money or like market the cards. Remember, you could write certain things on the tag to try to promote right. it and stuff. And um, it's so interesting to think about you know, in retrospect. That was an amazing first story. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back in a sec for another – Most of you know about PWCC. What you might not know is how much of the market share of auctions PWCC has taken from eBay. Every week, over 10,000 auctions, including thousands of basketball cards, end on the PWCC marketplace. If you haven't joined, it's super easy. It takes only a few minutes to register and begin bidding on everything from $5 cards to million-dollar cards. I recently picked up a 2007 Topps Chrome Superfactor of Kevin Garnett on the PWCC weekly auction. What are you waiting for? Register today at pwccmarketplace.com and start bidding. So my story is nowhere near as cool as yours, but, uh, and it's one that I'm not sure you'll remember, but it's a, but it's a you and me story. We were in your, your mom's car. I think you guys called it the Jimmy, the big white car that your mom always took us places in whether we were doing like, we were like going to get autographs at the Marriott hotel Or, you know, we were going to jazz games or we were going to, um, you know, the card shop or whatever. We always had these like conversations. And the thing the thing about you and me looking back and you and I never talked about this, but like you and I both like would get really strong opinions on something. And we would argue like you and I would straight up debate each other as 11 and 12 year olds. And I'm pretty proud looking back that we had like the level of conversations that we did. Um, and, and so my, both my stories today are actually centered around this. I'm not sure if we'll have time to to share both of them, but I want to, but I want to at least hit this first one and see, see where, see if you, if you remember it at all. So during the boom of the shiny card, shiny rookie cards of the mid to late nineties, um, there was this period where like, like the 93 Anthony Hardaway and Chris Weber had blown up in price. And then in 94, Grant Hill and Jason Kidd had blown, blown up in price. And then in '95, your favorite card—actually, it's my favorite card—and yes, I still own it. Thirty years later, the Kevin Garnett '95 that I traded for that had blown up in price. And so that's not the story I'm going to tell today, by the way. But that's a great story that I think we we maybe have shared in another place. Um, but but then in '96, Finest came out, and it felt like we all knew what was going to happen. Top's Finest was going to be the set. I even bought a pack, thinking I was going to hold on to it forever, and it was going to be worth a ton of money someday. And then, in the middle of all of that, Chrome came out. And when Chrome came out, I remember you and I went to a card show and there was like this pack. They were like selling Chrome packs for like eight dollars. And we thought that was insane. We were like, there's no way people are going, you know, buy these packs for eight bucks, but people were buying the Chrome packs for eight bucks. They were looking for the Kobe Rookie, and then, you know, refractors were one of them felt like they were impossible. But, people wanted Iverson they wanted Ray Allen they wanted all the rookie cards they were all selling for a ton and this is you know this would be 1997 so this was like when we were like when we were you know a little bit older we were like 14 years old um but we were you know we were going through this and the Kobe tops chrome and the Beckett had up arrows next to it every time you and I get into your your mom's car we're talking on the way back on our like five minute journey back to our house and I was like man I just think Kevin Garnett, and this is obviously after we've made the Kevin Garnett finest trade, right? Like, I just think Kevin Garnett's going to be like the player of the era. This guy is so amazing. I'm so glad I have all these big cards. And you, and I remember this, you freaking hated it when I talked about my cards. You hated it more than anything. Like, when I would tell you that my card went up in the bucket, you just like would get mad about it. And it was just, it was this fun, you know, obviously like young teenage thing to do. But you were like, no, I don't think Kevin Garnett's going to be the player of the era. I think it's going to be Kobe Bryant. Like, I think Kobe Bryant's going to have a better career than Kevin Garnett. And, Chad, this was, like, literally in 1997. We somehow identified two of the greatest players, like, of all time. You were right, though. Like, you were right in this conversation. We actually get to revisit it 30, you know, 20-whatever years later, 25 years later. You were right. Kevin or uh, Kevin Garnett was not as good as Kobe Bryant. But I will still stand by the fact that had he been in a big market like L.A., there's a chance he could have been thought of in that same sort of way, but Kobe's probably a number 6 through 10 best player of all time and Garnett's probably a 20 through 25. I think I think we did pretty good in that conversation. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I completely agree and I do remember being very passionate especially against Kevin Garnett and I don't like I don't know why. I have no memory of the rationale behind it. And so I definitely apologize for hating on your cards. Um, I wonder, I really wonder, and like the timeline escapes me, but I wonder if I knew that that top's finest, Kevin Garnett, that I traded you, I wonder if I knew that that was a bad trade. And then I just resented it for the rest of my life. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But um, nonetheless, you were definitely all over Kevin Garnett early on, and you knew he was going to be big, which is very impressive. I think you're right about Garnett, you know, I've never taken the time to think about him that if he would have been in a large market, his entire career, you could be right. He took Minnesota from what you and I know because of hot rod as only being the pesky wolves, right? Pesky that's Denver. that's yeah. the only thing that that people, at least in our area would know them as and made them relevant, especially when Marbury came along. So that could very well be the case. And it's always interesting to think about those scenarios you know, the what ifs, but what, what if he would have gone somewhere else. But I think you were spot
0: on. Do you remember meeting Marbury?
1: Marbury? I don't think I remember. I remember a lot of the people that we met, but Marbury doesn't come to mind. Was that down at the mall?
0: We met Steph twice. We met him at, at the Rocky mountain review. Okay. He was wearing this big gold chain. We walked, remember there was like a spot where we could walk down to sometimes, where like there would be like yes. players that were, like they had their section and we couldn't go down just to give the listeners some some view on this Chad and like Chad introduced me to this world I was not an autograph hound at all and then Chad one time was like hey we're going to the Rocky I can't remember if it was the Rocky Mountain Review or a hotel or one of the places we went to but you were like you were like you should come and we went to you know we 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 ended up doing this I don't even know how many different times but we met a lot of people yeah, the Rocky Mountain Review though was a gold mine because you would walk into, gosh, did they do it at the Delta Center? Back they did. Then? Yep. It was at the Delta Center. Okay. And we we walk in and like half, it felt like half of the people who were there were either like old players or coaches or agents or, or whatever, like announcers. And so we would just walk around and you were infinitely smarter at this because you brought cards to get signed at these things. And I would bring like this book. I still have the book. Actually. It's, it's actually really close to me. I can grab it, but, um, the book is signed by like Tim Duncan and Stefan Marbury and all these players from this era um, that were awesome. And I, and I like it, but it's not worth anything, right? Like your Kobe card is worth way more than anything that, that I ever got. But, sure. um, but Stefan Marbury, we, we, we met at the review. this big gold chain on, he was so humble and kind. He couldn't have been any kinder. And the very next time we saw him was at you and I were together for this for sure. It was at the hotel or, at the mall that the hotel is connected to. Yeah. And he was like the biggest jerk. I just went up to him and I was like, dude, as far as I'm concerned, you're rookie of the year. Cause remember he and Iverson were going back and forth. Right. Um, and he didn't even acknowledge me. He didn't even like say anything to me. And that was fine. But as, as a 14 year old, I was like, dang man, like you seemed so cool. Like six months ago. And now you seem like a total jerk.
1: Right. No, those you're, you're right about the Rocky mountain review. The summer league back then was nowhere near as popular um, back then that it is now, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it seemed like there weren't assigned seats. You're right. The stadium would be close to empty. And most of the people that were there were even the players after their game. They would just go sit up, you know, five or 10 rows and just hang out. And as you say that about Stefan, it totally rings a bell with me. They used to give out certain things as a part of going to the Rocky Mountain Review. And one of which was like a vinyl, almost like eight by 10, a little card. I I don't even know how else to describe it. It might even been a sticker. And I was going through my stuff and I knew that Kobe had signed one of those and I still have that. And I could not remember who the other autograph was. And as you tell that story, I think it was Stefan Marbury. I think it's both of them that that have signed that. I'll have to grab that at some point, and I'll shoot it over to you after the show. We can even post. I'll post it on social media on Pack to the Future podcast, and then you guys can let me know if you think it's Steph's. But
0: do you think would would PSA slab that thing?
1: <laughs> can you imagine how big that would be? It'd be the size I, of my computer. Well, I mean, that would this be amazing. You know, they six
0: by nine already. They might. They I mean that's that's close to the size that they do. I don't. That's a. I didn't. I forgot that you had that. That's a crazy cool piece, and I hope it is Marberry. And, and Kobe, because, you know, obviously same draft class. Anyway, we've, we've veered off way off path. Let, let's take let's take another break. And I suspect most of you have been on MC Sports Cards items on eBay. And nearly 60,000 positive feedback. They're one of the biggest consignment companies on eBay. What you might not know is that they've started a focus auction for 1K and over items that end Monday nights. And they call it MC Mondays. Dozens of huge cards end on Monday all at open auction. You could check out the items by searching by seller and going to MC underscore sports cards today. Awesome. Two stories down. We're, as not shock, not shockingly, we're taking a little bit more time than we thought we would, but uh, let's hear, let's hear your second story. So actually my second story was going to be about that Kevin Garnett. And
1: I still had feelings about the Kevin Garnett, the top's finest. Um, I think as you said that, that we've talked about that in past, but I think since you've mentioned Garnett, Already, I can tell it briefly, and then you can jump into your last one if that sounds good. 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 So, the Topps Finest Kevin Garnett was in my memory. We were down at the card shop, and I had either opened up a pack or purchased I can't imagine I would purchase the card, so I must have opened up a pack of Topps Finest and pulled that Kevin Garnett. And I remember, as my memory serves, and you have to tell me where I'm wrong here, how excited you were for that card. And you know, immediately, my anger towards your love of Kevin Garnett for whatever weird reason that occurred. And again, I I feel so awkward and like embarrassed about that. But nonetheless, I remember this trade went down in the back of one of our parents' cars on the way home from the card shop that I've always been an insert guy. I love inserts. I'm still an insert guy. But as memory serves me, there was a Shaquille O'Neal insert that you had that um, I just knew I was going to be making a steal of a trade for this Kevin Garnett, who I passionately believed was not going to be a player. And that in my mind, like having that trade might have been one of the first actual trades that went through to completion. You know, we we had a guy who lived down the street from us. Um, His name was Ryan, but occasionally like I would trade cards with him. His dad would come knock on the door. He's like, "Nah, that was my card. Give it back. So I think that that Kevin Garnett might have been one of the first trades that I have in my memory that like completed or that went through to completion. So not a big punchline with that one, not a high value card, but, um, you know, it's interesting, the same things that we do in cards today, as far as trading and believing in players and prospecting a little bit and falling back upon the type of cards that we like, in my case inserts, you know, that, that was occurring 30 years ago too. And that stands out as like one of my core card memories, um, for, for whatever the case may be.
0: Well, we remember the things that, we remember our losses sometimes maybe more than we remember our wins. Right. And, and we didn't know that we didn't know that Kevin Garnett would be what he ended up being. I just, I just knew that he was a high school kid who was really tall. And, and I was sort of building this collection of him and um, obviously got lucky. It was a step It was a shack steel towers. It was like one in four packs out of the 95 metal um, metal product. And I remember you, you're the first one who ever, who, who introduced me to metal uh, DJ had his shop in Cottonwood mall and I remember you telling me about how you were buying. You, you were the only person who ever got me into like something other than basketball. And I remember you had this, you had the name Westbrook, West something uh, in football. Brian Westbrook, Yeah. West, yeah. Like that. There was a
1: Brian Westbrook. I believe he played for the Washington football club,
0: the Washington Redskins. So you had this card that had come out of metal of this. And I was like, holy crap, this card is crazy. Like there's a ton of stuff going on here. And I remember you like you pulled another really big Jordan out of metal too. Yeah. The big Jordan insert. I don't I forget what that one's called, but um do you still have that one? Do you know which one I'm talking about?
1: It's the scoring magnet. And I do Score still hire. have that card. Yep, that was one That's of true. my biggest pulls in my childhood.
0: Yep. Remember you you got to open a lot more stuff than me. I remember you would even like sometimes open yeah. full boxes and stuff. And I was always like all sorts of jealous of that. But um my next story, so just to move to the next one, although I'd love to I'd love to keep going on that one, but Uh, My next story is a, is a, is a good connection to this because I remember you, like you talking about like buying boxes and what your theory was around, like how to buy a good box. And again, you had, you had a lot more, you had a lot more um, experience with this. Um, You introduced me to collector's choice, which very ironically, extremely ironically, I actually made a reel for heritage yesterday on a michael jordan autograph that came out of collector's choice the original collector's choice which is from 94 if i remember right you you bought that stuff too you did like 94 collector's choice and then yeah. in 95 you got me into it and i got like just a million of those silver and gold like uh sets redeemed right like right if your player scores over 35 points or i, I you know whatever like we had like jordan gold ironically we should have kept the the cards to be redeemed because there were so that those are a lot harder to find now. Oh, really interesting. But there, but there was something like, like the original Jordan Jordan's that all were redeemed that had like the specific games on them. Right. So, so let me back up because I'm doing a poor job right now. 95 collector's choice had um crashed the game inserts and those, those cards had a player on the card and then they had a date range. They came in silver and gold. I think golds were like one a box or something. And silvers were not as hard. Silvers, you got like a few a box. And so every time we got one of these, it was really cool and interactive because what you would do is you would watch the player on those games. We would follow like Sports Center. I remember you and I were both just like crazy with Sports Center. We'd watch Sports Center and we'd wait to see if our guy scored over, I think it was 35 points in a specific game during that range. So if you got Jordan, you knew you were going to get, it was going to get, you know, you were going to get the, the redemption um, where, you know, if they scored over 35 points, you'd get a gold set or you'd get a silver set. Um, in retrospect, we shouldn't have redeemed them because they did so many of these gold and silver sets that they're not actually worth very much, but to find those individual cards now in pretty co- good condition is actually pretty rare. So with that backdrop, at the same time, you could go to, I can't even remember the store now, I can't even remember where we got these, but like, maybe it was like KB Toys. You could go there and you could get a box of classic basketball um, or scoreboard basketball. And the thing that was cool about that is they did have some rare inserts. They had some parallels and they had one autograph per box. And I remember like just going on about how I loved this classic product. And I thought it had so much value. And you were just like, dude, you should 100% put that money towards a box of collector's choice, towards a box of. This or that or whatever else, and I was one hundred percent sure I was right. I remember I, I remember I pulled an insert out of a classic box, and you were kind of like, "That's actually kind of a cool card." And I remember being like, "Well, at least he kind of likes this." But um you know, as I look back, like you were definitely right about that too. I I I wish I would have, I wish I would have bought some of those boxes. A ninety four collector's choice because series two actually had autograph box toppers um, that you could find really super rarely, but. At least there was some lasting value there. Do you have any recollection of that story at all?
1: I do. I have recollection of the collector's choice, which, um, I, Adam, you might be the first person in history who makes me believe that telling people to invest in collector's choice was a wise decision. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... I do remember, you're correct. It was a toy shop. It was in the mall that that we had uh, nearby. Unfortunately, it's been torn down. But I love those boxes. I I really did. Uh, They were relatively inexpensive compared to some of the other hobby boxes. And you could find some really cool stuff and inserts out of there. But every bit of what you said, I I remember and have good memories of too.
0: Dude, we had so much fun. I I think the company should do things like collector's choice today and make it interactive. Like make fans watch the player like i've i've stood by this forever if if you did something similar to that and i know there's a big lift like like from from how they used to do it but like get the kids to actually follow what if you did i mean here's just like just spitballing what if you did this what if for 10 different players in the nba you created an 82 card set and each of those So 10 different players each have 82 different cards, right? And there's 10 of each one. Let's say that during the game that season that the player scores the most points, like that, that card became a winner. And at the end of the season, that one card, that one game card, right? There's 82 games in the season. That one game card for that player turned into like a super cool one out of 10 autograph patch. Like you'd have to make 10 of each of the 82 cards of each of the 10 players. And then the thing that comes out at the end would be something that would be really cool. And and then the other 7 and then the other 81 cards still would be cool because they would represent something that was out of 10 of each player. Is that isn't that a good idea? Does that seem like that's a great idea?
1: Having interaction like that is a great idea. And I know this is basketball card podcast, but if we jump over to baseball, which I'm not a huge baseball card fan, but Topps does something like this with their base product with a home run where essentially you can pick a game that you suspect once you get this card of a player and you go pick a game. And if that player hits a home run during that game, you win a prize. And I don't see why. Now, that's a Topps product. Now, of course, with Topps and Fanatics, I don't see why Fanatics can't roll that out to football and even basketball in the future. And it's great. You know, I had a buddy over a couple of years ago when I opened up a box of Topps baseball. I think my wife had picked him up from Target. He is not a card collector. And he saw that home run card who happened to be of a player of his team, the Atlanta Braves. Yeah. He went nuts over it. He went absolutely nuts. So I gave it to him. You know, he picked his game. He's texting me about it each at bat. He's really focused and it's a great way not only to engage people in a different way who are card collectors, but also to grab people uh, who perhaps are outside of the card collecting game, but still love sports. And I think it's a fantastic idea. It would not surprise me to see something like that going forward.
0: That I love that. I didn't know that that existed. So I'm grateful that you would share that. There's so many different ways that you could do it. But I, I think that the key is, that you, you have to have something at the end that's really cool, really interesting. And the, the companies, because I can think of a few times that they've sort of done it in the past, they've largely fallen flat on how it's executed. So, like, to me, it's pretty simple. You have the players sign the 10 autograph patches early in the season. Like, you make it something that's really cool. So, like, for, you know, say Panini was going to do it and it was in basketball, we know who they have licenses to, right? Like, we know which players they can get to have signed. And each of those 10, those 10 guys, they could call it whatever they wanted to. They sign the cards. They have amazing autograph patches. Heck, you could even put them out there and say, hey, these are the cards that you're trying to win. You could do it across, Chad, you could do it across product. What if the 10-card set, 10-card times 82-card set is, like, across all of products, kind of like how the old Autographics was? Like, I think that would be amazing. And I don't, I don't see actually, I know there's reasons why I just talked to Mike Phillips from Upper Deck literally yesterday. Um, I know there's reasons why specific products aren't like produced or like why it's difficult to do it. To me, that's not, I don't know, maybe there's something I'm lacking knowledge on. There's definitely a chance of that. It seems like it's doable. It seems like it would be really interesting and it would keep your attention on the season in a way that I think both the NBA and the card manufacturer.
1: Well, it's a golden ticket type contest in a way, right? If you tell people what the prize is exactly as you described, it would generate hype. Unlike what we've seen in quite some time. I mean, the only other time that we would have hype like that, you know, assuming they execute it well, would be like the triple logo, man. And just think about how much hype there was behind at least that first LeBron card from flawless and, The hype was ridiculous around that. And if you were to do that with a basketball product, you span it across everything, as you mentioned, I could see why the hype would be there. Now, one more example, just briefly on this, is that in a different baseball product, I can't believe I'm talking about baseball so much. I really don't enjoy (laughs) baseball cards at all. But (laughs) Allen and Ginter does a similar thing. It's a contest that if you collect their base cards, there is a code within those cards each, each year for the most part. They took a couple of breaks. But if you crack this code and you are the first person to do it based on getting the cards, the base cards, you win an entire autograph, um, collection of everyone who's in the base set. And that is a massive, massive win. Things like that would be extraordinary fanatics. If, if you're listening, let's make it happen. That is a great
0: idea. They might be, who knows? You never know with these things, Chad, uh, thank you for taking the time today. I know you've got a super busy schedule. Really appreciate you jumping on. Um, I know you've got a ton of stuff going on. Like you've got your show every week. You've got so many different things. Uh, any, anything you want to plug here at the end of the episode?
1: Yeah, I'll take just a minute. And first of all, for actually, if you are listening, let Adam and I create this first go at it, uh, hit us up. We'll create something beautiful. I promise. And if not, we'll take all the backlash. So yeah, a couple things to promote, um, as Adam mentioned, Tim and I, do a sports card kind of entertainment style podcast, Pack to the Future podcast. If you're not aware of us, go check it out. We're on every major podcast platform. We're also most um, readily available and engaging on Instagram at Pack to the Future podcast as well. Our shows drop every Saturday. And for the past month or two, each Wednesday, we have come out with what we call card stories, which, Adam, when you sent me the invite to this, I was like, hey, this is exactly what we love. And what card stories are is your ability as a listener to kind of take your card story and put it on our show. You record it, um, any type of audio format, we don't care. Send it over to us at podcast at gmail.com. It could be one minute, it could be 30 minutes. You record what you want to and we will give you the platform and take care of all the work for you and really just to cement your story, you know, in to the legacy of all others who are telling their card stories too just to make this hobby a bit more fun so yeah let's see podcast card stories instagram
0: i should do it dude you're the man thank you again for taking the time thank you listeners for joining today and until next time happy collecting Thanks for listening to the Basketball Card Podcast. Reminder to subscribe to Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine at bcfmag.com. Remember to use discount code BASKETBALL10 for 10% off any item in the store. That's bcfmag.com.